welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 86 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 26th of August 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, part 18. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, same passage that we were looking at this past Sunday. As we continue this morning in our series, overall entitled Contending for the Faith, we're up to sermon number 86, and we're on the 18th sermon on the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Today will be the seventh on the ordinances of the local church as we look at, once again, the Lord's Supper. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Got verse 23 in your bulletin, I'm actually going to begin in verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another, if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together under condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Father, we do thank you so much again this day, Lord, that we have this freedom, this opportunity, this privilege to be gathered together in your house, in this place, Lord, that has been set aside for you and for your glory. Father, thank you for your word that we have before us, your spirit within us. Thank you for all that you've done for us, and especially thank you for Jesus Christ and all that he did. Lord, to complete for us, to do for us that which we could not do for ourselves, thank you that he died, that he shed his blood on our behalf, that he rose again, and that even now he is there interceding on our behalf, waiting for that day that he'll return for us. Now, as we look into your word again this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would please, Lord, speak to our hearts. Give us that which we need. You know the needs of every individual here this morning. And Lord, we particularly pray that, pray that if there be one in our midst that has never been saved, has never been born again, has never genuinely come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that this day, by the power of your Spirit, they would be convicted. And by the same time, Lord, they would be pointed to Jesus Christ, the only one, Lord, that can take care of their sin problem. We pray that this would be the day that they would experience that relationship like no other, that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We'll give you the praise and the thanks for it. In Christ's name, amen and amen. As we have been looking at 
of course, the two ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And of course, as we look at these ordinances, we began by looking at the importance of the ordinances and the differences between ordinances and sacraments. We then looked at the ordinance of baptism, the first ordinance that every Christian is to follow after salvation, to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. And then these past few weeks, we've been looking at the Lord's Supper. We get, began by looking at the instituting of the Lord's Supper, who it was that instituted it, why did the Lord institute this, this table for us, and who was it that he gave it to in the first place. And then we began looking last week at instructions for the Lord's Supper. And as we began to, uh, to look last week, we said that we were going to try and take these passages that we have been uh, looking at and that we were going to attempt to answer some very practical questions. And last week we looked at the question of when should we practice the observance of the Lord's Supper. And we saw that there are all kinds of traditions and practices, uh, those that do it on a, on a, uh, a weekly basis, that do it every Lord's Day, twice monthly, monthly, every other month, quarterly, randomly, yearly. There are all kinds of practices in the churches of how they do that. And of course, as we looked at the scriptures and we looked at some of the reasons for uh, churches doing these different things, uh, we summarized for this. So we're looking at this, and I said in the very beginning, uh, you know, that uh, I don't believe the scripture makes it right or wrong whether you do it once a week or once a year or whatever it is in between. Uh, the scripture gives us two instructions concerning this timing, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 26 and 27 of our reading today, which are the instructions that are being given to this church at Corinth concerning the Lord's table. And the two things there in verse 26 says, this, this do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And in verse 27, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So whatever the frequency, we looked at where people get these different, uh, different ideas from. But in Scripture, our reason for doing it is to remember him. And when we do it, it is a symbol. It is a picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do it and we show or we proclaim or we declare forth his death until that day that he returns for us. Now, I'm going to say this again because I guess in pertaining to some things. Matter of fact, I've told you that most of the time when, uh, when we begin on these various subjects, when we first begin to look at the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said that we were going to look at some things that were fundamental, that literally could not in any way, and we've looked at some of those things concerning the church, what truly makes a New Testament church. And I said we'll look at other things that though they're not fundamental, in other words, just because somebody else believes it slightly different or practices it different, it doesn't make them a heretic. But it may be important to us as a local church. And as we began to look to these, I said, you know, I never really, uh, I never sat down and said, well, I'm going to take so many servants to do the church. We take and we go through it as we need to. And some might ask the question as to, you know, why we labor these points? Why do we need to look at the Lord's Supper? What's, what's so important about all these things concerning it? They may even ask, you know, is, is it the most important thing that, that we do it? And that we do it with the right intentions, that we're sincere and that we're genuine because many of the things we will touch on, um, I have had others be upset with me because they say that they are sincere and genuine in what they are doing, and I do not doubt that in one bit. But the simple truth is, is that even though that the matter of the heart and why we do something. We've seen some of that already, even on this topic of the Lord's Supper. Though that it is of great importance, it's of utmost importance, but it's not all that's important. You see, I'm convinced that today, because of religion, I, rel I realize this, and, I, and I'm full aware that a lot of people would like to come along and, and, and just have a, a pep talk on Sunday. Simple truth is, and I don't say this pointing any fingers, 
But some of you well know that I'm lucky. I'm lucky if I'm going to have you here one time every week. <laughs> and if I just give you a pep talk at that time, then I'm going to fail you because the Bible gives me a much more responsibility as your pastor than that. So if you're here and you're lost this morning, I pray that God never allows me to preach without declaring to you the fact that without Jesus Christ, you are lost and you're on your way to hell and you need to be saved. You desperately need to be saved. But if you're here and you're a child of God, I want to point you to things in the Word of God. You see, as we begin to look, I'm convinced that so many Christians today, they, they miss out on so much. Even when we're talking about the, the, the Lord's Supper, they miss out so much of the purposes, the reasons that we have looked at that, that Christ gave us this beautiful ordinance. You see, it's, it's only in truly understanding it that we can fully appreciate it. It's, it's too important as everything that God gives us. It's too important to take lightly. We need to appreciate it for all that it is. As we've already stated, when the Lord's Supper is seen and understood for what it is. We don't go there. We, we know that it's a, it's a fallacy when that somehow that you have to have it to be saved, that it has anything to do with making you saved or imparting this extra grace to you. But if it's seen and understood for what it is, if it's practiced as Christ gave it to us for both the right reasons and, and in the right way with the right heart, We've already seen that it should literally change our lives, not because we have to have it to be saved, but because of what it does for us that, that Christ gave it to us. Why? Because first of all, it brings us face to face with Jesus Christ. That's what he gave it to us, that we would remember him, not in just some abstract way, but that we remember him, Jesus Christ, and we have, have looked at that already. Of course, in bringing us face to face with Christ, it requires some things of us because sin separates us from Christ. It requires, as we've already seen, that we're right with him. All this examining that we read that we've already looked at as part of that reason that he gave it to us, that examining that we do to make sure that if there's anything there that is between us and him that is hindering our relationship, that it's seen, that it's identified, and that it's dealt with, but also <laughs> making sure that we're right with each other. This church was rebuked because they were making a mockery of this table because they were coming around this table as one body, as one church, as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet as they did so, the way that they were treating each other made a mockery. And he said, you might be calling it the Lord's Supper, but this is not the Lord's Supper, what you're doing. You see, it can be just another religious thing that we do, something that is required of us, uh, something that's good for us to do. Or it can be something that will truly impact your life. Change, you see, sometimes we're afraid of that. The Lord has given us things to change our lives, to change us from this world, to be transformed, to be something different from the rest of the world out there. And yet so often that's hard for us. We just kind of like where we are. <laughs> We don't really want to be changed into something else. We don't really want to be changed to like other things, to love other things. I guess my simple question to you this morning would be, you know, which do you want it to be? Do you want it to be something that has a real impact on your life, that changes you for the better, that changes you to be more like your Savior, or just another religious ritual that you go through and then pass on? You see, if it's to be everything that the Lord wanted it to be for us, then I'm saying to you this morning, folks, we've got to follow his instructions. He gave it to us. Man's teachings and man's traditions, it can literally take all of the true meaning out of it. It can become nothing but a, that meaningless ritual so many people do it for all the wrong reasons. 
And that's understandable. But many are doing it for the right reasons. Many are very genuine in what they're doing. But many haven't taken the time that we're trying to do these Sunday mornings to really search the Word of God and to see what the Word of God says. They just take somebody's word for it. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way somebody's told me that it should be done. My challenge to you is to get into these scriptures, to study these scriptures, to let them speak to your heart for what they say, not what somebody is saying, not what some church is saying. Know why you're doing what you're doing. Know why you believe what you believe. You see, simply put, it's very easy sometimes to get caught in the trap of just doing things man's way and not God's way because it's comfortable, because it's easy, because everybody else likes it too because we're all doing it the same way then. It's vital to understand and to follow God's instructions though, to follow the Lord's instructions pertaining to this important ordinance that he's given to us. We don't need any more of man's meaningless rituals, but we desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need for him to be real in our lives and be all that he possibly can be. And in turn, he'll make us all that we can possibly be in him. We have looked already at the instructions on when we should observe this ordinance. And in looking at the scriptures, concluded that Jesus didn't give us a specific frequency as to the practice, but he spoke very clearly of the importance of how and why we do it. As often as we do it, there's a certain way that we are to do it. And I want to turn your attention to maybe a couple of other questions today. The first one is, first of all, well, when? If we've looked at that, well, the second question is, okay, so where should we partake of the Lord's Supper? Now, again, there are all kinds of traditions, and there are so many people that they are set in their ways, and they've got their ideas, and they'll give you all the reasons for it, and that's fine because my job is not to try to correct all those other churches. It's to look into the Word of God and try to see what He wants. What is God's instructions? You see, as we look around us, we find this thing that's called the Lord's Supper, communion, the Lord's table. We find it in all kinds of settings, individuals at home. Maybe a family that gets together around the dining room table and they have the Lord's Supper and they're genuine in their heart and they're sincere. Uh, Christian friends coming together. And they do it as something that they say it's something special for them. Christian organizations and societies that maybe when all of their group or all of their workers come together, they'll, they'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Christian colleges, colleges and universities will, will sometimes do these things at certain times of the year in their assemblies when they get all of their students together. Christian conferences they come together where there are people from all over, from all different churches. And often, especially if these conferences carry over maybe a weekend, they'll have communion, the Lord's table on the Sunday. Many of the ecumenical gatherings of Christians, they do it in the name of unity, that somehow this is going to bring them all together more. They do it for the ecumenical uh, celebrations together when they all come together to celebrate Easter, for example. Communion is even often taken by individuals to those that are sick in the home or the hospital, or by some they think it is essential to have communion administered on their deathbed because of what they think that it means. Folks, the list could go on and on. In fact, people celebrate what they call communion or the Lord's Supper in all kinds of places and all kinds of settings but may I say to you that as we find here in Scripture, that just because somebody calls it that doesn't make it so. It doesn't make it what Jesus Christ gave to us. 
Remember Paul's words to the church at Corinth here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20. When ye come together, therefore, unto one place. They were all coming together there in their, their church. He says, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. They were coming together. They were celebrating this ritual, and they were calling it that, but that's not the Lord's Supper, he said. You see, when we ask ourselves that question, when, I told you very quickly that, you know, that again, I'm not trying to place a biblical mandate where none is. And each local church can have its own opinion on that, and they can practice it on that, and we can respect that because the Bible doesn't instruct us differently. But I do state this emphatically, that from both instruction and example in God's Word, I find absolutely no biblical basis for these examples that I've just given you. I believe that, Mom, I guess most of this, a lot of it was, was covered thoroughly when we looked at who the Lord gave this wonderful ordinance to. We said that in Scripture, the Lord's Supper is only ever spoken of in connection with the church. That comes as a shock to many people today. It was instituted in the first place with only those that were the foundation of the church. We saw that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel when Jesus Christ instituted it. As a church ordinance, we saw right here in chapter 11 and verse 2, just before our reading of today, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. The ordinances were given to the church. It was the church that was instructed to keep them. The only instructions that we find in Scripture concerning the Lord's Supper they're given to the church in a church setting. Nowhere in Scripture do we find instructions or examples of the Lord's Supper being practiced by individuals, organizations, societies, groups of churches, Christian gatherings, all these things. I'm just saying, folks, it's not there. Nowhere in Scripture, regardless of how well-meaning and how genuine that they might be, this is, as we've already seen, the Lord's Supper. It's not ours. It's His. Our intentions and our traditions of the church are not really what is paramount here, even though some of those things may not necessarily be bad. Certainly our intentions are important. The traditions can be a very good thing, but they can also be a bad thing when they Depart from God's Word. It's very simple. We need to stick to the instructions. We need to do what He's told us to do based on Scripture, based on God's Word. There doesn't seem to be any alternative other than the Lord's Supper being given to the church to be practiced by the church in a church setting. Now, if others want to do it other ways, that's between them and God. But I'm saying that's all I can find, and therefore I want to stick to his instructions. And we're not talking about a church building. Hopefully we've already, when we covered all that, we're talking about a local New Testament church. Wherever they might be meeting, we've seen clearly when we talk about the New Testament church, we're not talking about any kind of a structure, but we're talking about the people that make up that church. And we've seen what it takes to constitute a New Testament church. So the questions that we have to ask ourselves and we have to look to the instructions, we ask ourselves, first of all, when? Second of all, where? And I'm saying that there is no set time frequency, but that it is in Scripture, given to, practiced by, in a church setting, with God's people, with God's, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ being together. Who should and should not participate 
if we're practicing it at whatever frequency are, and we're doing it as a church body that has come together around the Lord's table to practice, to observe this ordinance that has been given to us as a body of Christ, who should and should not participate in the Lord's Supper? Well, I'm sure it'll come as a shock to you. But there's more than one view on this as well. <laughs> Surprisingly, everybody just doesn't see it the same way. And of course, as you well know, I don't know of any church that says we do this because it's contrary to the Bible. Everybody's got their view. And everybody says it's the Bible way. So when you stand before God one day, I wouldn't want to stand there with the excuse that this church or this church or this church or this church told me this. I'd want to stand there and say, well, this is what your word has told me. We find that as we look at all these different views and they're all saying that they're doing it in the biblical way, there are all kinds of variations and different people call them by all kinds of different names, but I've broken them down into three basic categories that roughly define these views. The first is, I guess, the easiest for man, and it's simply called open communion. When we say open communion, we don't necessarily mean open to anybody that wants to come, though there are some that would do that. But the more common practice would be that it's open to any Christian that wants to participate to do so. Now, of course, exactly what it means to be a Christian in different places can vary significantly. What does it take to be considered a Christian? There are many, many, many places that would call people Christians that we know have never experienced a new birth. But open communion. It's usually when a body comes together and they invite anybody that wants to that considers themselves to be a Christian. Now, terminology would be something like this. Usually all who love the Lord can come or all who love the Lord in, in sincerity and truth are invited to, to join. And of course, in more conservative evangelical circles, it would be talking about those that have genuinely been saved. And so even though we say open, to some, that openness is much more open than others. But the essence is that anybody that that church considers to be a Christian, however they might define it, are welcome to come and receive of the Lord's table. That sounds good. It's easy. It sounds so, so gracious and, and so loving and, and so inclusive. And of course, we know from what we've seen already that every Christian, every Christian should be obedient in observing both of these ordinances of, of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So could there really be anything wrong? If all Christians are supposed to do it, could there be anything wrong with just inviting all Christians to come together? Well, we'll come back to that in a moment, but there's a second type of invitation for people to participate. The first one is open communion. The second is called close communion. Now, basically, this method of deciding who is invited to participate comes back to a much stronger local church stand. Rather than being open to just anyone that is saved, it's offered to those who are saved and a member in good standing of either the local church where it's being offered, uh, but also they would invite guests that uh, might be present, that are saved. They're members of a church. Normally it would be of churches of precious, like precious faith or, or, or like faith in order. In other words, if you're saved and if you're a member of a church that believes what we believe and practice what we practice, then you're invited to participate in this with us. Someone say, well, that's a little bit harsher, preacher, but maybe too harsh. It isn't so inclusive of our fellow believers. Certainly doesn't sound as uh, loving and gracious. Aren't you being judgmental towards others and 
maybe prideful and, 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 and setting yourself up above others and saying that others aren't good enough to, uh, uh, to participate with, uh, with us around the table and so many other things. Are those things true? Well, they could be. Uh, we'll come back to that. I want to give you this third one first and open close. And then the third way is closed communion. That's simply where a local church comes together to observe the Lord's Supper, and it's that church's members that are in good standing, and those are the ones that come together and are invited to participate. That's pretty simple to understand, but if you think close communion will bring some criticism, some others, well, you can put exclamation marks behind all that if you practice closed communion because they really do see it as people that are trying to be exclusive and cut everybody else and say it, but that nobody else is as good as they are. Well, I've told you already, and I would reiterate, even if I had the chance and had the opportunity, I'm not in the business of trying to straighten out everybody else in everybody else's church. That's not my job, and it's not my responsibility, and it's not my duty what they do and how they do things, that's between them and God. However, I am accountable for what I teach you. We are accountable for what we do and how we do it as a local church. So what's the right way here? Who is supposed to be coming around the Lord's table? Who should and should not participate in it? Well, we say this, I read again from our statement of faith concerning the, the matter that we read when we first talked of the ordinances. We say the prerequisites to scriptural observance of the Lord's Supper are the new birth and scriptural baptism. Those receiving the Lord's Supper should either be a member of the local church where being administered, closed communion, or if the church desires to invite guests, those who are members of a church of like precious faith, close communion. There is no scriptural grounds for the practice of open communion whereby anyone is invited to take of the elements. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are the only ordinances of the New Testament assemblies and are not for believers apart from the assemblies. Now, how do we come to that conclusion? We state unequivocally in there that open communion is unscriptural. We're saying that it's wrong to observe the Lord's table in such a manner. Well, we know some things for certain from Scripture, from everything that we've established. It is the church alone that was given the ordinance, and it's the church alone that has been given instructions to keep it, and only within a church setting that those instructions are given to correct and on how to do it. We've established already in our study some things about what a church is. We said these three things already in the conclusions is the organization of a New Testament church is a united body of born-again, baptized believers that are covenanted together in a common faith and doctrine. They should be in singleness of mind with hearts in one accord and must recognize that Jesus Christ himself is the one and only head. No other people on earth can be organized into a New Testament church. We said that the offices of the New Testament church are two, being the pastor, elders, bishops, and deacons. We said that there's two ordinances that have been given to that local church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, that they are for believers only and to be administered by the local church. Now, not only do we see that Scriptures teach us, and we've already looked, as we've looked at defining and, and, and the design of the New Testament church, but also from the scriptures that we've read here today. What did he say there in verse 17? Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the local church at Corinth. It was this church that was coming together. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. So they were coming together physically, but they were divided. There were divisions. He says, for there must also be 
heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. These people were all divided in heart. They were, they were into their sectarianism. They were into their, to their little groups. They weren't to showing love and care one for another. He says, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. This is what you're calling it. Now, this is in the same chapter that we looked at in the beginning where he made it very clear that these ordinances have been given to the church, that he had delivered them to them, that they might be able to keep them. And here he says, boy, I'm not, uh, I'm not happy with this. I'm not praising you in this. Matter of fact, you're coming together not for your better, but for your worse because you're not doing it in the proper way. Now, as we look at that passage, we see clearly again, not only did we look at it when we saw what constituted a New Testament church, but he's showing them that for this to be the Lord's Supper, there is a need for unity, unity of heart, unity of mind between the believers, between those that were a part of this church, that were members of this New Testament church here. We find that in order for them to come around the Lord's table, those things had to be in place first. These verses are strong. They're a strong rebuke to this church. Why? Because of their disunity and lack of care one for another. They may have been as genuine as they could have been in their hearts and coming around this table that they were doing this ritual that the Lord had been giving them to do, that their church was supposed to do it. They may have had the right reasons in mind, but even in coming there, it wasn't the Lord's Supper because they were not the united body that they ought to have been when they come around that table. And that is precisely clear to us there. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You see, the Scriptures instruct us at least two things there, and I can make these unequivocally, that under no circumstances could it be right or even considered right or scriptural in any way to invite anyone to this table, to invite non-believers to participate at the Lord's table. No way. But in everything we see, we can go a step further. Under no circumstance could it be considered right or scriptural to invite a believer that was not in unity of heart and mind, that was not at one in their faith and their doctrine with the church, even though they may genuinely love the Lord in sincerity and truth and thank God for that. They may be just as born again. They may be living a, a cleaner, more holy Christian life than you are. It's not their love for the Lord that's in question here. It's not even their Christian lifestyle that's in question. It's their oneness with the body of people that they've come together with. They were different. These people, they were all part of the same church. And yet there was divisions, heresy, sex amongst them, even though they were members of the same church. You see, simple truth is, is that they weren't at one. Whether they're this church or another church, the question was their oneness, the divisions that were there. So I can declare to you that under no condition. Would it be right? Would it be scriptural? Because there is no scriptural grounds for the practice of open communion. It's just unbiblical. Those that want to do it, that is between them and God. But I say this contrary to the Word of God. So that leaves us really with two, closed or closed. My time is running out. But let me just say this. You know, closed communion meets all the requirements. There's no doubt about it. There can't be any more scriptural way than, than a body of believers that are one mind and one heart and one accord coming together. It's the local church administering the ordinance that's been given to it to keep. The church is inviting all its members in good standing to participate in a, in a scriptural manner around the Lord's table. 
in this way all of the reasons that we saw for why Jesus Christ gave the Lord's table to his people, to his church. All of those reasons can be honored. That simply cannot be done with open communion. You see, we said that we do it in remembrance. We said that we do it in obedience to his command, that it's a time to give thanks, that it's a perpetual witness, that it's a time of self-examination. You say, well, well, doesn't everything include that? But yes, we also saw right here in our passages that we've just read that it's also a time of true fellowship and communion for the church body. Remember, close communion is only differentiated from closed communion in whether or not those guests are going to be invited to participate. We've said that this would also be, uh, those would also be invited who are present that are saved and a member of a church of like precious faith or like faith in order. Those that are saved and a member of either this church or another church that would believe and practice what we do. The emphasis of this manner of participation, it is still on the local body of believers coming around the Lord's table as one. However, anyone that's present that was of like faith and order from a, a like body of believers where that lack of unity and oneness was not an issue, they would feel comfortable inviting them to join in. Now, some would say that there's no biblical basis for anybody outside the local body. They would hold strictly to just closed communion. Well, there is no chapter and verse. You can't go to a chapter and verse and say, this is it. However, I would simply say that we have come to this conclusion as a body because when we invite only those that are truly in oneness with the local body that's concerned, none of the scriptures relating to the Lord's table are violated in any way. The administrator, the requirements of those that are participating, all the reasons for observing it, they're all met. Some might question, well, what about the time of true fellowship and communion for that church body. Well, I believe that same fellowship, that same communion, it should be true of, and it should certainly be practiced between those bodies of believers, those different churches that are in unity and oneness in their faith, in their doctrine, in their order. You remember what the term communion meant when we looked at it? To have things in common, fellowship. There should be those with whom the term applies in the oneness of who they are. Of course, it would also seem that the Apostle Paul was the one delivering this to the church at Corinth. I don't think he was a member of the church, and I don't know for sure that he took of the Lord's table when he was there. But I, I, I would find it very, very uh, unlikely that he came and he delivered it to them, but yet didn't join with them because they were of one mind, one faith in all that they were things, all things considered. I believe that what we say in our statement of faith is so true that for it to be the Lord's table, you see, we can just do the ritual. and We can invite anybody that wants to to come. And folks, I want to be as loving and gracious as I possibly can. The thing is we're not doing anybody a favor by violating the Word of God. And I'm saying that part of coming around this table, we see clearly in Scripture that part of the reason, even within that one local body, that it wasn't really the Lord's table they were celebrating because of the disunity, because they were not at one with one another. And so I'm saying that it's up to a church. If they want to invite guests or not, the easiest way is just for the church members to come together and not worry about it because even if you practice closed communion, it becomes harder. Why it becomes harder? Because most churches do it a certain way, and the easiest way is just to invite anybody that wants to come and, and, and say it's up to them. That makes it harder. But, you know, we don't want to be perceived as being judgmental. And so, therefore, we don't want to put anyone's faith or Christian character or who they are into question. 
But if we are going to practice the Lord's table, we can't just bring a bunch of people around it that are not at one with each other. That's what the church was doing at Corinth, even within that one church. And the Bible said that wasn't the Lord's Supper. So I'm saying if you're going to invite guests, and that would be entirely up to a local church, we must respect that, that to remain biblical for it to be the Lord's Supper, it can only be those that are in unity, that are not divided, that are at one with each other in their faith, in their practice, in their lives. You see, the most important thing, everything, remember Remember, for the unbeliever, the greatest, the greatest thing that they can see in baptism and the Lord's Supper is the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. That's what we're proclaiming. If you're here today, that's what we're proclaiming, church. It's important for that reason that the picture that it is to present is the right picture, but it's also vitally important to you and me and our relationship that we do it God's way, the way that he gave it to us so that it can be all that he meant for it to be. Do you think that the church at Corinth violated what had been delivered to them purposely and intentionally because they didn't care? Probably not. They just kind of started doing their own thing. They were having their love feast and their communion together, and the love feast itself had turned into just a mockery because some were going hungry and some were just glutting themselves and, and, and others were being completely forgotten. You know, this was what preceded them then coming around and taking of the bread and the cup. He said, you know, there's all kinds of divisions amongst you. There's all kinds of heresies amongst you. And you're calling this the Lord's Supper? And he said, oh, you, you, you come and, and, and you're doing all these things, you're treating other people in this way, and you're calling this the Lord's Supper? No way, that's not what we gave to you. That's not what the Lord's Supper is about. For us, we do need to be brought face to face with Jesus. And when we do it, it's not to exclude, but it's for he gave it to the body, his church, that they might be unified in one with him and one with each other. It has nothing to do with everybody else. And, of course, another thing that makes it tougher today is because around the world, folks, the local church is being minimized and the universal church is being maximized. People don't want to be accountable to a local church. They don't want those commitments but we've already seen that that's not biblical, that's not scriptural. And this was given to a local church that that church might be everything that it could, that Jesus Christ is the focus of all that they're doing, that their attention, and for us, that's what we want it to be. That we can focus on Jesus, that he can be everything that he needs to be to us. If you're here today and you don't know that Jesus, can I say to you, all the rituals, all the religious ceremonies in the world won't do you any good but today, all have sinned and come short. Today, as a sinner, if you will bring yourself to God, and if before him you will admit your sinfulness, and if you will recognize that it's Jesus Christ and him alone that died for your sins on Calvary, his blood was the atonement for your sin. He died for you. He rose the third day. He is right now at the right hand of God, and he's interceding on your behalf right now. That forgiveness can be granted to you, but not through any ceremony, not through any church, not through any religion, through Jesus Christ alone. And that's why that as a church, it's so vital. It's so vital not only for our relationship with the Lord, but when you come in this place, we want you to see all of Jesus Christ that you possibly can. Not us, not our ways, but Him and Him alone. And part of the way that he's chosen to do that is through these ordinances, the Lord's table. He's given that to us to help us, to help us remember him, to come face to face with him, for our lives to be changed and, and, and made more like him, that he is more real in our presence, and he's the one that can change your life today. So we're not interested in practicing any of the religious rituals. And though I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm not as interested in just doing it the way the crowd's doing it. I just want to look for God's instructions 
Jesus gave it to us. It's his table. He's wanting to accomplish so many things, and I am convinced that it's accomplishing very little of what he wants to accomplish it today because of misunderstandings, because of it literally being called the Lord's Supper, but not being what he gave it to us for. Father, we thank you today. We pray, Lord, that you would just take and bless. We know, Lord, that these instructions are important to us as a body, but today we would remember also that if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they see that that is our focus today, that is what this is all about. It's Him. It's Him that will make the difference in their lives. It's Him that will make the difference in our church. It's Him that we want to be like, that we want folks to see in us and through us in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're going to sing for our closing hymn together. Literally, if you're here today, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's room at the cross for you. Uh, there's room at the cross for you today. Uh, and we'd love to take God's Word and, and just show you how that you don't have to leave here today uncertain. You don't have to leave here today in your religious traditions. You can leave here today with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can leave here in Jesus Christ today. And we pray, church, that we may not try to make anything, anything in what God has given to us, what we want. May we not follow the traditions of man, but may we follow God and His Word, and may these ordinances be everything that they should to accomplish all that they should for us and not just become something that is ritualistic or that accomplishes nothing in our lives. Mm -hmm. 